0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Rome. It's a rainy day, this Christmas season, and here we are on the final Sunday of this uh, long series. I've, I've actually preached uh, more messages in this one series than any other series I've ever preached, and I've enjoyed it tremendously. I hope that it's been beneficial to you and your family as we have unpacked the Constitution of Christianity, the fifth letter that Paul writes of the 13 letters in the new testament and from chapter 1 all the way back in April to today the final touches of the conclusion of the book of Romans Uh, thank you for joining us during this season and I pray that not only it has informed you but that you have let the spirit of God transform you uh, one step at a time Uh, This series that we've been going through uh, with the book of Romans has had six pieces, an introduction. It's had the first part, chapter one and two and three of sin and then salvation. Then we have had sovereignty of God and sanctification, kind of working out our salvation. We wrapped up just a couple weeks ago with service. And today it's really the conclusion, the, the last part, the sixth part of Paul's letter to the Saints at Rome and so what I want to do today is I just want to unpack three simple pieces three kind of sections of Paul's final remarks and uh, let's start with the very first section if you're taking notes part 1 Roman numeral 1 is Paul's kindness Paul's kindness do you know that in the very beginning of uh, chapter 1 uh, Paul says it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Jesus has been so kind to us to give us today this intersection of opportunity to make things right with him. If you're here and you're listening to one of our locations, you're watching online or listening to the podcast, understand that he's not mad at you, but he is so kind that he would give you opportunity to make things right. And so as I start with Paul's kindness, we go to chapter 16. It's all about greeting all of his friends. In this final chapter, he mentions eight people from the church at Corinth. And then he begins to list off 27 different people in Rome. He hadn't even been to Rome. He hadn't even been. He was longing to go to there, but he'd never been. But there were so many people in and out, missionaries, that were headed all across the world. Paul had made at least... these are the only ones that he mentions, at least 27 different relationships there in Rome. And his closing thoughts, his final remarks, aren't about doctrine. They're not about this and that and the other. His final remarks are really about people. And so what I want you to write down is this, Paul puts a high priority on people. He knew that his priority was way more than preaching, way more than the platform that he had, way more than just doctrinal statements. His priority was sending the gospel message, not just out into the atmosphere, but his gospel message is all about people. People is what makes a church, not a building. Although we appreciate our buildings, although we are building new locations, although we're expanding our locations, Ministry is all about people. That's why our mission at Timber Creek is not to just multiply locations and multiply leaders. That's a vision. That's what we want to be doing with what God's called us to do. But really our mission, what we're about, your God-given potential is our mission. And that's what Paul shows in this final remarks. And here, here's the truth, write it down. If Jesus is important to you, people will be important to you. And Paul models for us how to be an incredible encourager. So there's a few thoughts I want you to think about. Uh, the first one is, is this anyone can see problems in people. Are you that kind of person? I know I can tend to be, I can see the issue in a room quicker than I can see the positives in a room. I can sometimes see criticisms more than I can seek connections. And here's what I want to invite us to be. Let's be the kind of people that instead of pointing out the problems in people, let's, let's point out the potential in people. That's what Paul was doing there with the saints in Rome. He was pointing out the potential. uh, uh, Mary, one of the only other Marys in the Bible besides Mary Magdalene and and, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, he mentions a Mary that we don't even know who she is, but she was of great service to the Lord. He was pointing out the potential in people, not the problems. If you can see the potential, don't just see it. Say the potential in people, Don't just see it, speak it. Your kids need to not just know, you You know I love you. They need to hear you say I love you. They don't need to just know that you see potential. You need to speak the potential into your kids. And that's what Paul is doing with these, with these Christian kids, these Christian converts uh, of his. And so write this down. Have I forgotten to remember some things people have done? Have you forgotten to remember the good things or Write it this down. Have I remembered to forget some things people have done? So often we tend to remember the things that we should probably forget, and we forget the things we should probably remember. There's no doubt that these 27 people had issues. They had stuff that they needed to work on and fix. But Paul is speaking to the potential. He is, he is calling out and carving out the potential in them and thanking them, spending the last part of this letter encouraging People, When you think of people in your life, celebrate how far they've come rather than judging how far they have left to go. I can tend to do that with my kiddos. I I tend to be quicker to judge how far they need to go, what they need to fix versus celebrating how far they've come. Paul's kindness to point out the potential in people, to say thank you in this season of giving, in this Christmas hustle and bustle. Let's not be about the presence. Let's not be about the, the, all the gifts, although those were wonderful things. But what about pr- presence with people? Not the gifts with people, but just spending time with, with people. Paul put a priority on people. Because if people aren't on your heart they will easily get on your nerves you should probably write that down some of you for this Christmas season coming up with all of the different festivities if people are on your heart they might just more easily get on your nerves Paul's kindness is part of his final remarks here's the second Roman numeral it's Paul's caution when you look towards the end of the scripture he says and now friends I make one more appeal my dear brothers and sisters watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. His cautionary words are driving home the importance of unity. In fact, we say it like this at Timber Creek Church, unity equals anointing. There's just something powerful when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. The Bible says in the Psalms, it is like oil that runs down the beard of Aaron, the priest. It's like an anointing that takes place when everybody's in the boat and they're rowing in synchronism, when they're rowing, all synchronized, and they're making those oars hit the water and and press through the water. It glides. That boat just glides so well. And what unity equals for us, way more than the sound of the preaching, way more than the songs that we sing. When brothers and sisters are together, when we're believing the same thing, and we're walking, and we're, we're saying no to the right things, we're saying yes to the right things, we're saying no to the good things and saying yes to the great things, that unity equals anointing, Jesus' final prayer at the Last Supper. He could be praying all kinds of things, and yet he's praying that that the believers and the unbelievers, that we would gather together under Jesus and we would be one, one in thought, one in our heart, and that's what Paul is saying. Be careful, people that wanna speak things into you. You know, you can hear all kinds of podcasts. You can hear all kinds of teaching, and you should. You should make yourself aware, but also be careful who you're listening to. Be careful about what's going in one ear and out the other, careful what is being into your heart, those uh, things you listen to, the music, uh, all that stuff. I'm not saying don't go watch a movie, I'm not saying don't listen to the latest music, but be careful that that, like what you're getting into that it getting into you. Caution, he says careful with that when we're in unity, when we're rowing in the same direction, the church is unstoppable. The mobilized church is the hope of the world. And so here is what he's trying to do. He's trying through the book of Romans from chapter one in sin, chapter three, four, and five on salvation and sanctification, uh, eight, nine, and 10 on service and the sovereignty of God. Um, all the rest of the final chapters on how to live out the Christian faith He's trying to create clarity for the Christ follower. One of the most important things you could do for your family, one of the most important things you could do for you is to create and keep clarity. Who you are, what you're about, what you wanna look like down the road, the steps you're gonna take to get there, uh, how you're going to behave along the way the goals that you set. Here we are towards the end of the year and goal setting is going to become a really important thing for a lot of people. And by Super Bowl Sunday, they're going to not even know their goals anymore. Like make it plain, write it down, but let the word of God be the epicenter. Let the word of God be the foundation of all the goals you're going to create. It's critical that we allow unity, create anointing in our lives. And when you're able to create and keep clarity, you're then able to fight for unity. That's Paul's caution for us. And in these final moments, I'm, I'm asking you, is there any place that you're experiencing discord? Is there any place where you're experiencing disunity, where you're basically dissing the kind of unity that, that God wants for your life? You know, sometimes in Christmas season, Thanksgiving season, right where we are, we, we tend to experience a little bit more disunity because we're a little bit more aware of the dysfunction of our families. And even though there's dysfunction, you can still be kind, you can still uh, heed the caution of Paul, and you can find and fight for unity. All right, Roman numeral number three. We've seen Paul's kindness and we've heard Paul's caution and now eight months later, starting in April all the way to the Sunday before Christmas, we're on Paul's conclusion. Here in verse uh, 17, or pardon me, 25, he says, Now, all glory to God. All glory. We, we tend to be about the glory. And he says, all glory be to God. The full weight, the full measure of who God is. All glory be to God. And here's what he says. Who is able to make you strong just as my good news says. You know, that good word, that, that the, the good news, the gospel, uh, Paul says, the word able, that's the same word. Now, God who is able is the same word that he uses in the original language in chapter one when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power unto salvation. That word power and that word able are the same root word Uh, called dynamo or dynamite, like before dynamite existed, this is how they were describing dynamite, that God's power, God's strength, he who is able. And in chapter one, he says, it is the power of God unto salvation. In other words, God is able to save you. And then here in his final remarks, his final conclusion, he says, and God is able to sustain you in that salvation that he doesn't just want to change you, he wants to transform you. He doesn't want to just save you, he wants to see your life completely uh, turned around, uh, grown from the inside out, from growing in Christ to becoming closer to Christ to ultimately becoming Christ-centered. That's what Paul's conclusion is all about, that the dynamic power of God be unleashed in your life from head to toe to see you truly changed from the inside out the same God who saved you with his power wants to transform you with that same power now he says to that same God the only wise God be glory and honor forever and ever and he says amen and he closes the he closes the chapter of the final uh, those final thoughts in Rome. now when in Rome has been this whole series and we've been here in front of the Colosseum, where christians were martyred where the culture would gather and celebrate and cheer and 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 uh, uh cheer on their favorite gladiators their their favorite athletes so to speak and there was bloodshed here there were games here There was glory here. There was money exchanged here. Uh, The whole epicenter of of Rome really was right here at the Colosseum. And Paul is giving his final remarks on God and uh, glory and uh, power. I wanna take you to one more place though. It's just within walking distance, just a a few hundred yards from here. Uh, I wanna take you to some some play, a place that is very important in the life of Paul as well. The final remarks, not only of the book of Rome, Romans, but also we're gonna take a walk over to where Paul not only writes uh, another letter, but he writes the final words before he's executed. Not far from here, in prison, Paul will be beheaded for being a Christ follower. Let's take a journey to not only his final words in Romans, but the final words of Paul. Just above the mound here and through those ruins, just a few hundred yards away, is Mamertine Prison. And Paul will write several of his letters uh, in the New Testament from prison. Uh, In fact, the happiest letter in the Bible, the happiest book of the Bible, Philippians, he writes from a prison. Uh, but here he will write his final letter, and believe it or not, it's to a person. Again, Paul's priority was people, and he will write his letters to his protege Timothy in this Mamertine prison. And days later, he will be executed. But here in Second Timothy, um, he writes to he writes to his protege, and here's what he says. He says, Timothy. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. Each one of these words, each one of these lines hold incredible, incredible truth, and incredible uh, direction for you and for me. And as we wrap up this whole series, instead of wrapping up with His concluding remarks to Rome, let's wrap up His concluding remarks in life, Paul says, to begin with, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. Paul says, my life is not my life. I am an offering. I am poured out at the altar of God. The truth is, parents, grandparents, moms, dads, husbands, wives, your life is not just your life. Your life is an offering first and foremost to God, but secondly, to others. I mean, you don't put others just um, you don't just Jesus, uh, others, and then you, you have to take care of you, but you're also you take care of you so that you can pour yourself out for others. When you take the perspective that the God of the cosmos is there to be poured out just for you, just to make your list of demands, just to answer your prayers. We get it twisted. We are here to pour ourselves out for God and we're here to pour ourselves out for others. Paul understood that lives were meant to be offerings. You know, when we give uh, of our tithes and our offerings, um, it's just a sign, it's just a, a simple way to show God, hey God, I'm making sure you everything I have, everything I am is yours and this is one way that I simply show that I'm willing to be poured out. He goes on to say, the time for my departure is near. He knew the writing was on the wall. He knew that his days, even though he had escaped death multiple times, he was not getting out of this one. Um, The problem is you and I, we really don't know the time, do we? We, we assume we know going to be later, not today it'll be later in life but we don't know the time we don't know the place Um, as a matter of fact when you look around the room today we don't know who the old people are in the room because um, it's not about your birthday it's really about your last day you could be 65 years old in the room and feel pretty old but if you live till you're 95 you're actually you're still pretty young or you could be 23 today and you don't know it and I don't know it but uh, your life will end at 28 we we don't pray that for anybody we hope we don't hope that for anyone but the truth is if you're 23 and you only live till 28 you're, you're pretty old and so the idea is pour yourself out like a drink offering while time is of the essence while we cannot uh, over, we cannot overspend our lives. We can overspend, we can overeat, we cannot overlive. So your life is valuable, make the most of it. He made it through a number of scenarios, being shipwrecked three times, taking an entire day adrift in the sea. His time was at hand and had he made the most of his time. The scripture goes on, Paul goes on to write, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight here's here's something I want to ask uh, you know is every fight you're fighting really worth fighting there are some fights that are absolutely worth taking on and then there are some fights just not worth your time not worth the energy you're spatting with your spouse and have you stopped long enough to say is this a fight worth fighting when Paul says I fought the good fight he's saying I fought the fights in life to make things better, to make things clearer. He had to run for his life. He had people chasing him. He had to fight to stay alive. He was beaten and stoned almost to death on multiple occasions. And in this Christ-following life, it's not gonna be daisies and buttercups. It's not gonna be slow motion runs. It's it's gonna be a fight. The question is, uh, Are you fighting the right fights? I wish it were simple. I wish living for Jesus meant less and less and less fights, but it may mean that you're gonna have to fight more for your purity. You're gonna have to fight for clarity. You're gonna have to fight for um, doctrinal, scriptural stability. Um, If you're gonna fight, make it a good one. Too many of us are fighting bad fights and it ends up that Christmas season, uh, those fights resurface. Uh, we kind of think we've let bygones be bygones. We, we think we've buried the hatchet, so to speak. But the truth is, uh, we get around people. We get around dinner tables. We get around Christmas season. We get around taking the kids over to the, the, the ex-wife's or the ex-husband's house. And there's just some fights that stir back up. What kind of fights are you fighting? Um, that thing that has strained your relationship. That thing that has driven a wedge between you and your parents. That thing that is driven a wedge between you and a coworker. Is that a fight worth fighting? Let, let, let Jesus fight your battles for you. Uh, worship, praise, uh, let your battle be more in, 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 in trusting God and seeking Him than it is just fighting flesh and blood. If it's a good fight, it's beneficial. If it's a good fight, there's gonna be clarity and, and unity in the outcome. Um, but if it's just fighting to get the last word in edgewise, It's not a fight worth having. Paul says, I have finished the race. Commitment gets you to the starting line, uh, but consistency gets you to the finish line. And Paul, he lived an incredibly consistent life. Even in this scripture, he's, he's talking the same way he was talking in Rome. The same way he's talking in Ephesians, the same way he's talking in Philippians and Colossians and 1 and 2 Th- Th- Thessalonians and Titus and Philemon and all the 13 books that he writes in the New Testament. He's, he's uh, consistent. He has finished the race. It's good to know that when your time is up that you ran the right race, that you didn't, you didn't get in the wrong lane and go the wrong direction and just live your life on a detour. And I want you to know that maybe you've been running the wrong race may you've been living life in the detour lane, Um, God can turn this lane into the right lane again. He can take what was plan A that now is plan E and F for you. He can make, make it plan A again. That's how God works. We're celebrating this Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ who came from the line of David and David had seven different wives and it was his wife Bathsheba. Bathsheba, who never should have been his wife, never should have had a marriage with her, but through all kinds of different detours in his life, through murder and adultery and and assorted affair, God makes all that plan double R into plan A again, and Solomon would be born, and through the line of Solomon and through the line of David, Jesus would end up coming. There's, there's power in the plan of God that can take your wrong turns and make them right again. All you have to do is surrender right where you are and he makes what's wrong right. He has finished the race. Don't live your life wondering, have I ran the right race? Finally, Paul says, I have kept the faith your faith, no doubt, especially in this political season. Here we go. We're only a few months away. We're 11 months away from a, another election and in this season of bipartisan politics of people yelling at the top of their thumbs on Facebook, you have the chance for your faith to be tested. There's going to be time where you may even doubt your faith. You may doubt someone else's faith. Even John the Baptist, He believed in Jesus, he baptized Jesus, he saw the sky split open and God say of his own son, this is my son whom I love, I'm well pleased. That same John the Baptist, when the pressure cooker of life was on and he himself was in prison, he had to write a little letter to Jesus while Jesus was ministering on the streets and John is in prison, he writes, are you really the one or should we look for someone else? Your faith is going to be tested. That's okay, that puts you in good company all kinds of disciples faith was tested jesus the night of his betrayal even jesus is tested take this cup from me nevertheless lord not my will but yours be done here's the final words before paul will put the pen down for the last time before paul will rest his head for the last time he writes there is in store for me the crown of righteousness do you remember months ago when we talked about righteousness, that righteousness basically meant to pass inspection, to be able to uh, be okay. Um, Paul says, the crown of passing inspection, the crown of righteousness is going to be given to me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Paul knew his reward was coming. Paul knew that his reward was heaven. Paul knew that his reward was not just heaven and heaven's gates and heaven's streets of gold, but that Jesus, Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. That Jesus was gonna be there. He was running for the right reward from the right one. Friends, there's a lot of trophies you can receive. There's a lot of awards you can put on the mantle. There's a lot of rewards that you can look for from this promotion or that, this job change to the next the best reward we could all hope for is that we could lay the pin down. We could lay our head down. We could step from one side of eternity into another knowing that we have done what God has called us to do. We have become who God has called us to be. In the very first sermon that I preached on this whole series, was all about Paul's legacy. And we've learned that it wasn't about who we've been, or what we've done, but who we are becoming along the way. And that's my prayer for you, but beyond that, that's Christ's prayer for you, that you would be who He's called you to be, that you would be becoming who He's called you to be along the way. And so today, as we remember the words of Paul, we're gonna go back to that Last Supper where Jesus gave the caution and he gave the prayer that we would be one, that Jesus accomplishes all he's meant to accomplish at the cross and through the resurrection. We're going to celebrate communion together. So as we prepare, I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to sing and take the elements together, thank you for Thank you for Paul. Thank you for this champion of a life, this world of a man that at the end of the day was just a man. He was a man empowered by your spirit to do what you've called him to do. And God, I pray that we would be the men of God, that we would be the women of God that would champion your word, champion your convictions, champion your character, champion your convictions. Father, we thank you that we have access to pray to you like this because of what your son has done on the cross. Father, I pray that as we lift your name today, and as we take the elements, that we would fight for unity, that we would let the highest priority of our life be people, and that, they would, that we would be pouring our lives out as a drink offering, just like Jesus, you poured your life out for us. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. And everybody said, amen.